touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland and today, once again, I am graced by the presence of our automotive genius, Scott Benjamin. Scott, thanks for joining us on the show today. How's it going, Jonathan? I'm, uh, I'm honored to be welcomed back. Yeah, I, I'm, I am, uh, trying to, uh, exert dominance because Scott actually is way more knowledgeable in the area of cars than I am. So I'm wearing my sunglasses to give me this kind of sense of coolness and aloofness. That's why you're wearing that tight shirt. You had your chest all popped That's up. That's right. Too. Yeah, I got to make myself look big. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it's working. Yeah, thanks, thanks. <laughs> I, I'm I'm glad that I can I can dominate and then therefore maintain my my lead position. But as always, when I have a guest on, I like to ask my guest if there are any particular topics that interest them. And Scott, you picked an article or a list really that appeared in Forbes online, and thought maybe we should talk about it. And I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a topic that I think we're going to hear a lot more about in, in the future, near future, as a matter of fact, um, connected cars. Yeah. And not just connected cars, but this particular article is about uh, 10 obstacles for connected cars, because we've talked about connected cars on car stuff on, on our show before. Sure. And uh, in various ways, I mean, kind of the uh, the slow progression up to the point where we're actually calling them connected cars now, because that's relatively new. Right, right. Because when you think connected car, I mean, that definition seems a little fuzzy and vague, Mm -hmm. largely because we're still defining it. Yeah. So you could, if you wanted to be, you know, kind of technical, you could say, oh, well, I have heard about entertainment systems that you can have in a car that connect to something like Pandora. Isn't that a connected car? But what we're really talking about here, and it's it's something that's not defined in that Forbes list. The Forbes list is pretty bare bones when you get down to it. Yeah. But what we're really talking about here are cars that have some sort of persistent Internet connection. And usually they also have some sort of wireless local area network in the car itself so that your devices can uh, link into that network. Yeah, that's right. And that network provides other benefits to the driver. And and right now, I mean, you can get vehicles that have elements of this right now. Right. We're talking about future developments that are coming down the line. And, you know, we'll get to all this as we go through the top 10 list. But um, which, by the way, some of this we agree with and some of this we don't. Yeah. Right? Some of these we question how they could be labeled an obstacle. It makes me think that this list was originally just a list about connected cars and that when they got to the point of trying to come up with a headline to describe it, this obstacles was the one that seemed like it was the best fit. Yeah, because maybe there's like seven real obstacles and the other three are just uh, well, talking about connected cars. Yeah. Really. So, yeah. you know, some of the things that, that you know, you may already see in cars are things like automatic notification of crashes or, um, you know, when you're getting speeding alerts, uh, you know, if you're you're in a. Uh, rural area and mm. you're you're going a little too fast your car can actually tell you if you're going too quickly for that road uh things that you know navigation systems have done in the past you know on their own but those are add-in devices things that you you plug in right now cars are doing that themselves you know yeah. with the with the built-in navigation devices so um safety alerts things like that all all that stuff is stuff that we can see right now that is part of the connected car but as you said the definition is constantly changing every mm. time uh, something new comes out or some new advancement in uh, in the design of the vehicle or the architecture of the electrical system of the vehicle, that's that's redefining what we consider an, a connected car. And this vehicle-to-vehicle communication that we're talking about, that's that's just now in the, uh, in the infancy state, I think. I, I, we're not really there yet, but we're getting there quickly. And it's kind of, the way we describe it on, uh, on car stuff is that 
um, it's almost like the phone, the phones, you know, like, I mean, mm. I can think seven, eight years ago when I was using a flip phone and that was relatively new technology. I mean, I know we were just getting into smartphone area, you know, territory at that point, but, um, think how quickly things have developed past that point sure. or, or since that point in just the last five, six years, that's the way cars are advancing. And I've got other stuff that I'm going to cite here as we go along. There was, there was a particularly eye-opening article in popular mechanics that, We've covered in detail on our other show, and I will uh, I'll I'll mention elements of that as we go through. But some fascinating stuff that that even for me and Ben, you know, when we were we were going through this, we we talk about this all the time, you know, throughout the week, even not just on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the stuff was really eye opening. How quickly things are happening. Yeah, and it, it, it reminds me a lot of the discussion you and I had on the other episode of Tech Stuff you joined me on about self-driving cars Mm -hmm. uh, and how a lot of the elements that are necessary to make a self-driving car work are finding their way into our vehicles today, even though our vehicles are not themselves autonomous, right? Mm -hmm. There's some autonomous elements that are being worked in, whether it's something where the car is still under full driver control or it's something where a a computer takes over for like parking assist, that kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. So it's very similar to that to that same sort of model. And without getting very specific about it today, there's even some uh, some some more news on that front as we go through this list today. So um, I can tell you that you know based on the other list, the uh, the popular mechanics list. I know mm-hmm. we're kind of getting into two different things here, but um, even based on what I read there, they're talking about it's advancing even faster than what we had talked about just a few weeks ago. It is amazing. How I mean, that's the one drawback about doing any sort of show about technology is that very quickly after you record it, it becomes obsolete mm-hmm. and you need to do an update. Yeah. Let's look into the actual list, though. Uh, so the Forbes list, it opens up with the statement that cars take longer to design and build than smartphones. So the development cycle is very different. So you might say that if you look at smartphones in general, the the innovation is is constant, right? Mm-hmm. You're constantly getting updates. But even if you narrow it down to a specific model of phone, you're still talking about essentially an annual uh, de- development cycle. You get a new iPhone every year. I think we can all appreciate this. I mean, how often do you get, you know, the iPhone 6 and then the 6S comes out a month later? Or, right. And I'm bad at this, at naming, you know, d- devices, but you understand exactly what I mean. By the sure. time you get home... The next one is on, you know, the television as being the, the greatest thing, and that's what people are waiting in line for tomorrow. Right. In, in the United States, this is particularly tricky, right? Because a lot of us get our phones uh, subsidized, and we get a contract that goes along with it. The contract baseline tends to be two years. Mm-hmm. So if you have a two-year contract, but your specific model of phone updates every year, you always feel like you're behind. Now, I'm an Android user, and it's even worse for me because there's a new Android phone out multiple times a month. Mm -hmm. So I can't, if I settle with one model, I do that knowing that it's going to be outpaced multiple times before I can upgrade again. And I suppose it's similar in that, you know, let's say that you have a uh, a particular make of vehicle. Yeah. You know, so there's uh, General Motors will make a certain type of vehicle and they will update it every year, of course. Yeah. Still call it the same thing. There's going to be the 2012 model year, the 2013, and the 13 is likely going to have more features and functions than the 12. Right. But they won't do a dramatic redesign in, you know, for several years. I mean, it may be 10 years away or whatever, but they're constantly working on new products. Well, this article says that uh, car manufacturers work on five-year cycles. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm going to say that it's probably a little bit less than that typically. 
I know that they've, uh, a while ago, you know, like, uh, maybe a couple decades ago, you know, they were working on cycles that were seven years long. You know, they would start out with the, the sketches on the drawing board, you know, mm-hmm. the, even the napkin and, you know, work up from there with the clay models, et cetera. Well, CAD drawings and things like that have advanced to the point where that's shortened that, you know, the amount of time, the lead up time, I guess. Sure. 3D Shorten printing it. really cut it way back because now you, if your prototype didn't work, you could just redesign it and print a new one. Exactly right. So the, the cycles are getting much, much shorter, but I'm going to say that five year cycles, that's, if that's average, I would believe it. I know that some are working faster than others. So I've got this note here and mm-hmm. this comes from that other popular mechanics article. And mm-hmm. there's a couple of these that I'll drop in here, but I'm, I think I'm about to blow your mind, All right. Jonathan. Hit me. Yeah. You, right. you alluded to this before we came in here and, and you said, you know what? I'm going to save this for the podcast. And I'm so. going to, I'm going to ask you a question. Now this okay. is, um, this is McLaren. All right. That we're sure. talking about. So McLaren makes supercars. They make Formula One cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, they make, uh, you know, Million-dollar cars. Right. I mean, close to it anyways. All right. So McLaren has been in this uh, in the supercar world since about 1992. They made a car called the F1 from 1992 to about 1998. Yeah. Again, it was a million-dollar car. They made, like, you know, 100-plus cars. Not really that many. It was low production. Yeah, these are the ones that are, like, handmade. That's, that's right. And now... It's one of the many that are handmade, right? Yeah. But since 1998, they've kind of been out of the game. But then they came back again in, uh, I want to say it was around, two, I'll, I'll find the number here, but I think it was around 2011 when they came back. Uh, yeah, they jumped back in with a model called the 12C, uh-huh. the supercar again. So a car for the streets, but they had been building Formula One technology all along. And they've got something that they call a skunk work. And the skunk works are outside of London. And that's kind of their uh, um, ex- experimental area. Yeah, top secret research and development. Yeah, Lock- yeah. Lockheed Skunk Works is probably the most famous, but there are several companies that do this sort you know, of thing. Yeah, exactly right. And this is Formula One for them, right? They're interested in Formula One technology, and they build road cars there as well. I'm going to ask you this question. Okay. So they uh, they develop new technology and test new technology there. How often do you think that they, they test and develop new technology out of the Skunk Works facility? Wow. Ooh. Okay, well, all right. If you're talking about a company that is uh, uh, largely concerned with designing cars to compete in and win races, mm-hmm. I would imagine it would have to be. Let's say I'm gonna I'm gonna go super conservative. I'm gonna say 18 months. Okay, 18 months is your guess, right? Yeah. Here's where your mind is about to be blown. All right, all right. McLaren, the vaunted maker of supercars and Formula One racers. Long been known for nimble development, right? Mm-hmm. At this Skunk Works outside of London, developers strive to engineer and test a new piece of technology every 20 minutes. That, mm, every yeah, 20 that's, minutes. That's incredibly aggressive. 20 minutes. Now, yeah. when I read that, I could not believe it. I mean, it's it's incredible how quickly they do it. They say that a new race car can differ by as much as 80%. From the race car they fielded the previous year. That's how fast they That is they pretty develop. incredible. And I mean, you know, only have a 20% similarity to the previous model is, is phenomenal. Exactly right. Now, they're also building, you know, these road cars. So I'm uh-huh. sure that a lot of that is the Formula One technology, right? Sure. However, they've been introducing a new car every year for every model year uh, as, as since 2011. So they're quickly building these cars fast like this. And the way they do it is that they they have completely stopped uh, starting with the CAD setup and all that. They don't mm-hmm. even start there. They start with a human in a simulator, and that's how they begin the whole process. And they get feedback from that. Wow. And it's so fast. I mean, it's just the, the, the most rapid way to do the whole thing. And they make adjustments as they go, and that's how they're able to do it so quickly. And 
the thing is, they say they don't waste millions on prototyping. This guy, Jeff McGrath from uh, from McLaren Applied Technologies, he's the uh, the vice president there. And he says that we can design the cars of the future before we even begin machining parts. So they don't even prototype parts. They start with a simulator and a person. And that's how they're able to quickly do this. Now, it's not just uh, for these million-dollar supercars, which is exciting news for all of us. Right. Because I'm not in this, this arena to buy a car Yeah, like I'm not this, in right? that bracket either. But it's exciting for you and I because... It's not just for these million dollar supercars. It's it, he says that I hope this time next year we'll be free to name some of the passenger car companies that are using our technology. So he's saying we're sharing this. We can't really talk about it right sure. now. So some of these uh, these big manufacturers like I'm going to guess, um, you know, the big three here in the United States, uh, maybe um, who knows, Peugeot or Mercedes or whoever. They're they're probably working with them and they're developing technology just that quickly. We're going to see advances in cars way faster than we ever had before starting right now. So that gap that uh, is listed as an obstacle may not really be an obstacle for, well, it might not be an obstacle now, and it certainly won't be an obstacle perpetually. Uh, I think also another objection I have to that particular item, not really objection, but maybe maybe a note, a criticism perhaps, uh, is that it doesn't really take into account the aftermarket either. Mm-hmm. And the aftermarket could develop much more quickly because, you know, you've, you've got, once you know the constraints you have to work in for whatever model of car you're developing your stuff for, mm-hmm. uh, you can really innovate very quickly. And so some of these connected cars systems may not be fully integrated with the entire vehicle. They could be a kind of like a module, like an entertainment system that you could take out. And you would still get a lot of the functionality you would get in a car that was built to be a connected vehicle from the start. Not everything, obviously. Anything that that ties directly into the car systems would probably be a little more problematic. But at least like the entertainment, navigation, uh, Wi-Fi access, that kind of stuff, you could build that in. This reminds me a little bit of like open source uh, yeah. technology, the way that, that that whole thing works out. I mean, I, I'm sure you're way better at this than I am, but open source, the way I understand it is that, you know, you take someone's base idea and you build on that. And mm-hmm. they allow you to because that's how you get this rapid development of ideas, right? I mean, that, how, how yeah. quickly um, evolves. Yeah, it's it, the idea is that by opening it up to the crowd, you allow for much more rapid innovation. There's there's a guy here, and I've got a note, another note, and I, I promise we won't go as long on the next few this, as we do with that <laughs> one, because that one I was excited about. Yeah. But um, there's a note here that I want, I want to talk about um, Elon Musk at some point. Mm-hmm. So when it feels right to talk about open sourcing again, just tell me, and that's when I'll hit you with this other thing from Ellen, or Elon. Sure. Elon, I shouldn't say Ellen. It's Elon yes. Musk, right? Yes, uh, the, the genius behind Tesla and SpaceX. Yeah. Uh, someone that we've chatted about several times on this podcast, and and I'm sure we'll continue to talk about it. Well, let's talk about the second thing on the list, which was that new safety laws will dictate connectivity. This was one of the items that the way it was worded on the list made me question whether or not it was an obstacle. I guess it could be, depending on your point of view. Mm -hmm. Uh, Specifically, they... They elaborated on this point by saying that uh, in 2015, all cars in Europe will have to be equipped with a system that is named eCall, E-C-A-L-L, which alerts emergency vehicles to crashes and lo- location data. So if you're in a really bad crash, you're not necessarily responsive. It will automatically send out essentially a kind of a distress call. And so emergency vehicles can respond to the emergency. Fantastic idea. Yeah. Now they say that this will, that they consider this an obstacle 
to the connected car. I think of this as a driver to the connected car, not a driver behind the dri- the steering wheel, but something that is driving us toward this connected car because it's a requirement. It's a mandate. It's something that, uh, you know, like GM's OnStar will already do. Right. But that's an add-on feature. Yes. I mean, it's it's built in the car, as I understand, but it's a sub- subscription service, right? right. So th- I understand what you're saying. I think, it, I think it is more of a driver than anything else. There's also another thing called uh, B-Call. That is going to be uh, be prevalent in new cars, and that's that's for breakdowns. So so E call for emergencies, B call for breakdowns makes sense, right? But the cool thing about B call is that if you do break down, there's an automatic service call that's made with details about where you are and what part of the vehicle is having trouble, what exactly is happening. You know, can it be fixed on the side of the road, or does it require a tow truck? You know, or you know, to haul you into town or or back home or wherever you have to go. So yeah, I think that um, you know, along the lines of these. You know, the next step after that would be like a, a concierge a concierge service. Sure. Tough for me to say. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, someone that's at a call center that can actually help you find, um, you know, stuff that's not critical, like, you know, these emergency call, you know, emergencies or breakdowns. But more like if you want a restaurant or a hotel or a pharmacy in the right. area, you can call at will and say, you know, I've got a subscription to this for, you know, six months or a year or whatever. And uh, I'm looking for a uh, local restaurant that serves Chinese food. Um, what do you recommend? Yeah, that reminds me of a time when my wife and I took a really long road trip and we didn't have a hotel arranged because we didn't know where we were going to be mm-hmm. by the time it was time to turn in. So that would have been a very useful service in that in that case. Yeah. See, now at the touch of a button, you can get all of that. I mean, this this e-call, the B-call, the, you know, the, uh, the the possible concierge service, that mm-hmm. type of thing. I mean, all that I, I do see as being part of this whole connected car thing. Because you have to have connections in order to be able to make that work, right? Right, I mean, right. That's that's what that's what the uh, the OnStar service relies on right now. Why not build that into other makes and models of vehicles as well? Yeah, and I think when I think of safety laws being an obstacle to connectivity, I think more on the opposite side of this. Not so much something that is required to send out a message, but rather, what about the potential for driver distraction? Mm-hmm. So, in other words. There might be laws that come out. We we often see this in technology, right? We see where the technology outpaces the law. Mm-hmm. It happens all the time where we develop these really cool tools or toys or whatever that just when when laws were made, it didn't take that into account because it wasn't a thing when the law was formed. Mm-hmm. And then you suddenly realize, oh, wait, this thing is just different enough from everything else that we need to figure out how the law applies in this case. So if we have connected cars that have potential distractions to drivers, I could see safety laws coming in that would affect whether or not a car could be connected. But that's a that's a different angle than what was in the list. And you're jumping ahead on the list because there's uh, there's a bit about distracted drivers later on. That's I've true. Got a, I've got a specific question for you as we get to that, too. Excellent. Well, yeah. I look forward to being asked that question. <laughs> I bet you do. The next one, uh, this one I think is probably where an open source discussion can probably come in as well. The car makers need mobile partners, which means that auto, auto manufacturers, obviously, they're not the same company that provides this connectivity service, right? Yeah, this is going to be strange. Yeah, because someone's got to be in charge of delivering the connection to that automobile. If you've got a a cell phone receiver, essentially, built into your car, that has to be working with some carrier somewhere. Yeah, this is is really weird to me because we're talking about Car subscriptions now at this point. Yeah. And of course we all know, you know, that the, there's the, uh, the satellite radio subscriptions or OnStar, something like that, right? I understand all that. 
But we're talking about like being able to bundle phone calls, streaming music, navigation, all into one one service where they'll be able to charge you X number of dollars per month. And let's say that, you know, you want to add video conferencing. Well, that's an additional $5 a month. But sure, we can do that for you as well. I mean, why would you want to add video conferencing to your car? <laughs> you may think that's funny, but somebody who who is a salesperson or works yeah. out of their car, they would find that invaluable. I mean, it would just be it'd be fantastic for them to be able to do something like that. It would be a complete office right there on wheels. And I'm sure that people are going to be excited about this. Other people are going to say, well, this is this is a bad, bad idea. I mean, I could imagine YouTube series coming up with. This sort of thing. If you have a system in your car where you can do essentially a video call, then it's not a huge jump to think of a live YouTube broadcast from behind the wheel. And you think about all those those car shows where it's someone behind the wheel of the car occasionally looking over and chatting to a camera as they navigate the car, especially ones that do car reviews like CNET Mm -hmm. is a great example. Then I could see that becoming a thing where you have video series of people behind the wheel. It doesn't even have to necessarily be a car-centric video series. That's just the gimmick that gets people into the show. And it's built in. The manufacturer will create this for you. It'll it'll have the camera that points right at the face of the driver in right. order to be able to do this. Because if they're saying video conferencing, it's not going to be something you're going to have to set up, like a GoPro camera up in the corner of the, the car or something. Right. It's going to be there and ready to go. So, um, yeah, there's going to be uh, it's going to be probably some new laws that go along with this as well. Right. So now you also have some other questions, right? Like if you have... Like, who do you partner with? What what manufacturer partners with which carrier? Yeah. And and once you make that decision, you're kind of locked in. It's not like you're not going to find a car necessarily where it's going to work on any carrier. I mean, I guess they could technically build in transmitters for all the different carriers and then you make a choice. But it's far more likely that the cost for this development is going to be spread across multiple uh, entities. So you would have, uh, you know, a a you know, car manufacturer partners specifically with Sprint or AT&T. Now, this is interesting because you uh, you just brought up something that I hadn't thought about. But what if you were interested in uh, Volkswagen yeah. and they, uh, they're they partnered with Sprint, but you don't like Sprint service or it's not available in your area? Yeah. And then you think, well, I really want a Volkswagen, but I also need this service because I, I rely on this, you know, and I'm in this area that just simply doesn't have good coverage or whatever. I'm going to have to go with the General Motors product because they partnered with AT&T and I've got better service there. It does seem pretty weird to think that a person's choice of vehicle could depend upon who their their service provider is for their smartphone. And I don't know if they would actually change that or not, or if it would just kind of sway them one way or the other. Like if I had these two cars in mind, yet this one has this provider and this one has the other provider, maybe it might push you in the direction that you uh, weren't leaning before. Right. Or maybe you just end up resigning yourself to having a car that has features that you simply can't access, which I know would irritate me. Yeah. Like I, to think that I'm essentially paying to have these features that I can't access. And we'll get more into how this could become a complication and a little bit further down the list. But this is kind of where that open source approach uh, kind of fits in, because another element of open source is this idea that no one has... Uh, proprietary ownership of the 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 base code beyond a certain level mm-hmm. so that one you're able to build upon this depending upon the licensing for the open source material uh, and and the benefit of it is that you don't have this lockdown ecosystem whereas in these other approaches where you have a specific partnership between a manufacturer and a carrier it's locked down to a certain experience if you don't like that service if you don't 
if if the things you own are not compatible with it, you're out of luck. Open source is kind of taking the opposite of uh, uh, philosophy in some ways. I mean, I, I'm kind of muddying the waters a little bit, but ideally with open source, you have an approach where you can arrive to a standard mm-hmm. that can apply across multiple, uh, like the whole spectrum, so that you're not forcing the consumer to pick one particular approach. They still have ultimate flexibility and choice. So you could buy the vehicle you want, but maybe with limited uh, with limited features. Yeah. Okay, got it. Yeah. So that's that's one way I would put that. And I think of this also with like uh, the connected home. So you probably have heard about appliances. Like mm-hmm. you could have your fridge and your stove connected and that your fridge has all the information about all the foods that you have stored in there. And your stove, you know, you, you end up sending a message to your fridge saying, uh, uh, based upon the stuff that is inside of you, figure out a recipe for dinner mm-hmm. and send a message to the stove to start preheating. <laughs> but in order to do that, you have to have all of these appliances from the same provider, the yeah. same company. And did it say, bad news, you're going to have hot dog buns yeah. with mustard and that's it? Yeah, for me, it would be like, uh, well, it's a six-pack of Jolt Cola and a bottle of ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> that's sad. Yeah. yeah. Jolt uh, Cola, really? Well, you know, yeah. you know I'm Retro. an old school. Yeah. yeah. All right. So our next one is that uh, this one I actually really do think of as a true obstacle, which is that car dealers will need to be tech savvy. That salespeople will have to add the network capabilities of the car to their knowledge base when they're trying to sell a car to a customer. Yeah, dealers go through a lot of training to sell cars that are, that are out there right now, and they're yeah. getting more and more advanced, of, of course. I mean, uh, cars are already very complex. I mean, when you when you take it a new, take a look at a new vehicle and the level of complexity it has versus a vehicle that was sold even seven eight years ago. Right. Um, I've got an example that I've mentioned a couple times on our show on car stuff that um, I have a 2005 Honda Civic Si, mm-hmm. and it's a hatchback, and it's the I mean, okay, it's it's the Si model. It was kind of their sporty ver- version, you know. It had a lot of stuff on it, mm-hmm. but when I look at that, it's extremely basic compared to a new vehicle. I, I've I've said this before. When I get I've sat in new vehicles, you know, tw- you know, 2014 vehicles on the lot, just kind of poking around, seeing what's out there. Mm-hmm. And it's as if I'm stepping into a jet fighter. Right. I mean, it looks like a cockpit of a of an airplane. Yeah. It's incredible the the way they've advanced from you know just 2005 to now. It's ten that's ten years, and I know that's even been faster than that. But um, it, they can be really really complex and, and complicated and and confusing for the customer. And if the dealer doesn't describe that right away, doesn't describe to you how everything works. You're going to be the one driving around the block with your left-hand turn signal on all the time and right. not know how to turn it off. Or how many times have you seen someone with the, um, you know, the the flashers on the uh, the hazard lights, right? And they have no idea how to turn them off or um, other or, features. Or that... you get into a rental car and you spend the first ten minutes wondering how you turn the headlights on. Yes, and it happens. I mean, especially if it's a dark lot. I mean, you're you're really you've got to really familiarize yourself with the with the controls in order right. to be able to to function in that environment correctly. And, and that's important. I mean, it's a safety issue. Sure. And at nighttime, you know, if you, if it becomes nighttime quickly and you haven't switched your lights on and the interior is not illuminated and you have a difficulty finding switches that you need to find, that can be a safety issue. And, Absolutely. And yeah. dealers need to, to uh, definitely need to work on this. I mean, I know that they're, they're already doing a lot. I mean, dealers are well-trained, but um, with the way that cars are advancing now, it's almost like they're going to have to go to monthly classes to keep up with what's happening. Right. And you never know what the tech savvy level of your customer is going to be, right? Yes. So if yeah. you have a customer come in who is like a, a 
someone who writes for Wired mm-hmm. and they know this inside and out, you need to know at least enough to have a decent conversation with this person. If they have detailed questions, you need to be able to answer. Yeah. But you also need to be able to help the customer who is like, you know, someone's grandmother who doesn't have any knowledge of any of this stuff. And how do you how do you make something as complicated as some of these systems makes sense to somebody. Uh, you just touched on my other example because I have uh, elderly grandparents mm-hmm. and they uh, the recently <laughs> get this. Neither one of them drive. Right. But uh, they well, one is recently deceased, but um, they they purchased a new vehicle when neither one of them could drive. So other people could drive them to places, right? A brand <laughs> new vehicle. So this is it's a little funny to think of, but it's a of course, it's a Buick. Mm-hmm. You know, my grandmother loved Buick. So mm-hmm. um, the thing is, this newer vehicle had so many buttons and, and small type on the on the uh, on the buttons themselves that she couldn't really uh, understand what, you know, all that stuff was because she was accustomed to driving a car that was maybe five or six years older. Right. And everything was where she knew it was. You know, it was, it was very um, intuitive to her. Mm-hmm. Now, this new one, I mean, it's it's like uh, it's it, again, it's just too complex for them. And. It's not just elderly people. It's it's just anybody that maybe doesn't have the experience with new cars versus, you know, driving an older vehicle like what I'm driving. Um, I would have trouble kind of learning my way around a new car, but that's all part of it. You have to you have to learn this new system. And that's exactly why the dealers, uh, the dealer role is so critical at this mm-hmm. point. And with all the electronic features, you're going to have one area like, one, let's say, one screen area that's a touch screen that's going to be able to do so many different things. It's not like you can just look at it and understand what it can do, you have to be able to dig through that, the different levels, and realize what it's capable of doing. Right. Um, I don't know if I can, I'm probably overstating this, but uh, they've gone real high tech, and we need to keep up with it. That's yeah. all. Yeah. So this this really could be an obstacle. I mean, obstacle in just the sense of widespread adoption. If you can't intelligently explain the the uh, usefulness of these systems, then how can you expect them to be adopted? The, the transition from old car to new car, old tech to new tech is very difficult for some people. And yeah. they've got to really be up on things to do that. I mean, I cover technology and even, I mean, I'm reaching that age where there's some new tech that comes out and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, Scott, you know, this conversation has gone on really uh, quite a long time. So if you don't mind, Scott, I think we're going to just uh, snip the episode right here, but we'll be- rejoin shortly sounds like a good plan excellent so guys uh if you want to get hold of scott if there's something that you just have to know about cars scott where would they go to learn more about the stuff you do any kind of burning question maybe you should contact me via email it's car stuff at howstuffworks.com but you could also uh, check out the website, I guess, you know, the stuff site that we have. That's carstuffshow.com. It's an excellent site. And, excellent, uh, excellent stuff on there. And the usual, you know, Facebook, Twitter, that's carstuffhsw. So uh, accessible just like you are. Fantastic. And, guys, if you want to get in touch with me, that address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr with the handle techstuffhsw. And we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 